Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. I just like at the beginning of Mass when I came up there and I reverenced the altar, I just like had a pause uh, looking at all of you and... uh, um, it's just awesome. Like very, very infrequently do I ever get to just preach or be with just only women. And um, that is just such an outstanding gift to me as a priest. Uh, there's nothing, I don't know, preaching is awesome. I love preaching to huge crowds of people, big things, Christmas, Easter, um, closing masses here. I've, I've always loved that. Um, but honestly, for me, there's nothing better than preaching to a whole room of women. So like this blesses my heart so much. So um, and I'll tell you why, because like, there's nothing that makes me feel more like a spiritual father than um, things like this. So uh, I just want to share my heart with you and for you today. Um, I'm going to start here. So I, I have two pictures I want to show you. I want to show you the first one. Let's see if we can get that up on the screen. It's, uh, it's a picture of the inside of a coffin at midnight. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sound booth. So, part of the reason why I love preaching to women is because men never make those noises. Um, never in the history of, of a group of men has there ever been like a, uh, like, that doesn't happen. So I want to introduce you to the two girls who changed my life. This, these are my uh, goddaughters, my twins. On the left is Rosie, and on the right is Lily. And um, they came into my life in 2013. I was uh, attending this 10-week-long spirituality program at the Creighton University of Omaha, in Omaha. And throughout the course of that summer, making a super long story short, the, um, what the Lord did for me that summer was uh, showed me how um, my desires to be a husband and my desires to be a father actually found a place in priesthood. That priesthood is not the um, abdication of fatherhood. It's actually the perfection of it. Um, that the question was not am I called to be a husband and a father or not? It's what kind of husband and father was I called to be? And same for you as women. The question is not, are you called to be a spouse and a mother? The question is, what kind of spouse and what kind of mother are you called to be? Uh, spousal love and, and fatherhood and motherhood are the perfection of our manhood and womanhood. So like as a priest, um, I'm espoused. I wear a wedding band, right? I wear a wedding band. And uh, as a priest, I'm a father. Um, But those desires, those realizations, those muscles in my heart didn't really begin to grow until that summer. And uh, so I come home for this 10-week-long program. I had been texting their mom, who I just gotten to know because of, uh, she was in a Bible study with my mom. Her name is Lauren. And uh, she was on bed rest. That's what happens when you're, you know, five foot tall and pregnant with twins. (laughs) And uh, so she was on bed rest for like the last month and a half of her pregnancy. And her and I just began texting that summer, and I came home, and I, they invite me over to their house, and Mark and Lauren, they asked me if I would be the twins' godfather. 
which was outrageous because that whole summer the realization was like a call to spiritual fatherhood. And um, these girls have changed my life. They have absolutely changed my life. They have drawn fatherhood out of me more than anybody and anything. Um, I, I would swim oceans for them and move mountains for them. Uh, let's go to the next picture. This, is, uh, this was them at their first communion this past spring. I know, I know, I know. So their dad's a cop and their godfather's a priest, so, like, <laughs> the boys are screwed, all right? So, like, I've, <laughs> I've already told their dad, I said, I promise I will absolve you of anything you do to any boyfriend of theirs. Like, <laughs> I, you, you have carte blanche absolution guaranteed. I will bind and loose whatever, Right? So one of my favorite things about their family, they are two of seven, so there's seven kids in their family, and um, the, the oldest is Faustina, who is going into seventh grade, and the youngest is another little baby who's named after me, which is pretty wild, a little boy named Patrick, and he's, uh, he is, he was born June uh, 21st, so uh, just a couple weeks ago. He's, he is so cute. He's so, so, so cute. So... Um, I spend most of my day off at their house. I, I call it my, my Bethany, right? Jesus had Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, the place where he would rest and repose and just be rejuvenated. And they're my Bethany. They're my Martha, my Mary, my Lazarus. And uh, one of my favorite things about their family is how Mark, their dad, um, in a particular way, loves his daughters. Um, he takes them out uh, on daddy-daughter dates. And it's, it's one of the cutest things. When the girls are old enough, he, you know, they plan these wonderful little daddy-daughter dates, and he takes them out, get ice cream cones, go skating, um, sledding in the park, just different little excursions with dad. And, and it's all about letting them know how much they are just treasured and how precious they are and, and just pouring into their hearts truths, um, establishing in their hearts a very high bar of what it means to be loved. So that, you know, when, uh, God willing, one day when, uh, you know, a good and holy man comes along, um, they know what a good and holy man is. They know what it means and what it feels like to be loved. As I was thinking about this afternoon, um, in some ways I kind of wanted to share my heart in that same way. That, like, I'm a spiritual father and, and there's nothing that makes me feel more like a spiritual father than being with, with spiritual daughters. And that's kind of what I want this to be. And I know that some of you, um, even hearing these stories now, there's maybe a part of your heart that aches feeling like, I never had that. Um, My dad never loved me in that way. And I just want to speak to that place in your heart right now and say that it wasn't supposed to be that way. Um, Daughters are meant to be so utterly cherished and precious and um, honored by their dads. And I just want to speak to that today. You know, the gospel that we just heard, um, Jesus is unpacking for his friends, his apostles, a parable he told about fields and seeds and weeds. And uh, the parable goes like this, that there's a farmer who has a field, and in the middle of the night, an enemy comes and sows sows. Um, weed amongst the wheat in the field. And he rises and he sees that there has been uh, an enemy who has tampered with his field. And, and the apostles didn't really get the parable, so Jesus is he's explaining it. 
he's explaining how there is an enemy, and it's the devil, and uh, he says he's, he sows his children into the world, which is interesting. I'm going to come back to that. Um, he sows something contrary into God's intention, into God's plan. And what was God's plan? Um, we have to go back to the beginning to grasp that. That Genesis is so much more than, a, than just like two naked people in a garden of apple and a talking snake. It's so much more than that. It's showing us like the deepest, tr- the deepest truths of our humanity. It's showing us what God intended for us in the beginning. It shows us where things went off the rails, how things went wrong. It shows us that when God was making everything out of nothing, he speaks and things come into being. And at the culmination of this creation is, is not just humanity, but woman. Woman is the crown jewel of creation. I don't know if you've ever been told that. I don't know if you've ever known that. But when you read the Genesis stories, it's creation on the way up. There's an ascending order of complexity and beauty as you read these stories. Like Adam, who knows what Adam was made from? All the way in the back. Clay, dirt, right? Adama in the Hebrew literally means dirt man, right? So if you know any Adams, they tend to be dirt bags, right? So um, I'm just kidding. 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 He's throwing shade. Okay. Adam's made from dirt. He's made from clay. He's made from clay. Someone tell me, what is Eve made from? Yeah. Adam's rib. So whereas Adam's made from clay, Eve on the other hand, is made from stuff that already contains within itself an even higher degree of perfection and beauty. Eve is not made from clay, right? Eve is made from Adam, which says that Eve is the crown jewel of creation. She is the pinnacle. She is what God had in mind when he paused and brought everything into being. Eve is what God had in mind. Woman, I should say, is who God had in mind when he brought everything into being. If you think of the Sistine Chapel, the ceiling, right? The the scene where God is reaching out his hand to touch Adam's finger and Adam's leaning back and he's all like this, right? You see God the Father, he's got his arm wrapped around some figures. Michelangelo, the way he depicted that, it's it's the the way it's depicted, it's like the cross-section of a brain. So what he's doing there, he's saying like, this is the mind of God. Pouring forth from the mind of God comes all of being, all of creation. God's got his arm around a woman as he's making the man. Anyone want to guess who the woman is? Eve, right? In the creation of Adam, God already had Eve in mind. She is the crown jewel of creation. When Adam was alone in the garden, God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. The word there is... Uh, it's not like waitress, <laughs> just so you know. It's Ezer Genegdo. Let me hear you say that. Ezer Genegdo. Ezer, when the word Ezer appears in the Old Testament, it almost exclusively refers to God as the divine assistant, the one who saves. And Genegdo is a preposition, meaning standing in front of you. So who is Eve to Adam? She is the divine assistant sent from God who saves him from the abyss of solitude. She's not just simply the one who's like your helpmate, like she's the one who, you know, does chores for you, Adam, in the garden, as if there were chores. She's the one who saves you in your inability to be fully human. In the story, 
the serpent who is the enemy, who is in our gospel today, approaches the woman not because she is weaker. The serpent approaches the woman not because she is weaker, but because she's the receptive one. You see, St. John Paul II, when he was reflecting on humanity, man and woman, when he described woman, he said that woman is the archetype of all of humanity. Like my sisters, like you in some deep, significant, mystical way, you embody, like in your flesh, in your soul, in your spirit, in your mind, in your brain, but in your flesh, you embody the deepest meaning of humanity, the deepest meaning of what it means to be human. Because God has built into the woman an empty space. Every single one of you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about your st- all the guys would be like, our stomachs? You're like, no. <laughs> Dummies. Okay. <laughs> your womb. Your womb. Every single time we pray the Hail Mary, we say, blessed is the fruit of of your womb. In the gospel, someone cries out about Mary and says, blessed are the breasts that nursed. Like in the gospels, the, like the two body parts that distinguish in the most distinctive way woman from man are the very body parts on Mary that are praised. Like notice, there's no other part in the gospel where someone says, Mary, blessed are your elbows. How awesome are your knees? (laughs) It's her womb and her breasts. What is the womb? The womb is an empty space that exists in you, but for another. It's a space that exists in you for another. It It is the sign of receptivity and hospitality that you embody the fact that we are meant to open, as human beings, open to receive and then conceive life on the natural order, yes. That's why we're all here. But even deeper still on the supernatural order because you see the womb is an icon, a sign of the heart. That's why woman is the archetype of humanity. That's why the woman is the sign. She is the summary of humanity. That's why the enemy goes after Eve. He goes after the woman. Because he wants to go after the womb. He wants to go after the sign. You hear in pop culture this notion of the war on women, right? It didn't begin with, like, the patriarchy, so to speak didn't begin with men in power. It began with a fallen angel named Lucifer who hates you. You in particular, my sisters. Like Lucifer, his name means light bearer. And the reason why he fell was because, as the saints and theologians tell us, God showed the angels a semblance of the plan that he was going to unfold in time. That in the fullness of time, God would take on flesh born of a woman uniting his nature to human nature in the womb of a woman, and in the fullness of time, his defeat would come also through a woman. 
Do you realize that? That like in the very beginning of Genesis, the defeat of the enemy is proclaimed through woman. Not through like Samson. Not through some big strong male. Satan is defeated by a handmaiden of the Lord. There is no one that Satan fears more and hates more than Mary. Because she is his opposite. God is not the opposite of Satan. Mary is. Right? He's, the, he's Lucifer, the light bearer is what his name means. She bears the true light. He lifted himself up in pride. She lowers herself in humility. The enemy said, non serviam, I will not serve. And Mary said, fiat mihi secundum verbum tuum, be it done unto me according to your word. The enemy is terrified by Mary. The war against you has been from the beginning by an enemy. And the way that he wages the war against you is through lies. That's what he did in the beginning. Genesis is not simply like something that happened a long, long time ago. Genesis 3, the fall, is what happens every day, all the time, in particular for you. The enemy approaches you, like he approached Eve, to whisper a lie, to plant a lie, a seed, if you will, into the fertile soil of your hearts. Right? Every time in the scriptures where we see images of earth and soil and seeds and, and um, yeah, sowers, every time you see an image of earth and soil and all of that stuff, I want you to begin thinking now about like femininity, womanhood, Mary. Jesus says the enemy comes and sows seeds while they were slumbering. In other words, while they were not ready to make a defense. There were lies that were sowed into your hearts a long, long, long time ago. Long before you came to Damascus, long before you really began walking the road of discipleship. Very subtle lies, but deep and profound lies that come from your families that come from your fathers, that come from boyfriends and boys in school, and most of all, that come from the culture and the world. But behind them all is the same seductive, evil voice of the enemy who wants to plant into you a lie. And the goal of the lie is to get you to shut down, close off, and keep out. In other words, the enemy doesn't want you to be receptive. He doesn't want you to be woman. How long ago was the lie planted that said that your worth comes from the gaze of others? How long ago was the lie planted in you that said, I am just not beautiful as these other girls? I don't measure up to these other girls. I'm not worthy of being pursued. No one will find me Worthy. How long ago it was planted into your heart a lie that says, No one has eyes for you. 
My sisters, how deep these lies go. And the problem is, the lies that we believe, or the lies that, we, that we're planted, they echo in our hearts for so long that we cease being able to recognize that they're not our own voice. We begin to think that, like, that's something that's true about me because it's been in me for so long. That is not who you are. I just want to invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to name, uh, um, I'm going to say some things out loud and I want you to repeat after me. We're going to renounce some lies together. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I am not worthy. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I am not chosen. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that no one will have eyes for me. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that my worth comes from my achievements. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I have to compete for attention. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I am not precious. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I am not beautiful. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that there are some things that are just wrong about me. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I will never change. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I will be alone. My dear sisters, you are exquisite. And there is an enemy who doesn't want you to know the truth about you. This week, as you have the opportunity just to soak in the presence of our Blessed Mother, she is the crusher of all lies. She has her heel on the enemy's throat. And everything that we're experiencing in our world right now, it's like, like the tail of the snake is just whipping because she's got her heel on his head. He knows the defeat has already happened. But the battle is being waged over your hearts, over your identity, over your worth. Because if the enemy can get you to shut down and close off, then he's won. My dear sisters, keep your hearts open. You are a gift. You are receptivity. You are humanity embodied. And you are so loved and chosen. Amen.